the screen. The topic for tonight is fellowship, and I've called it the heading Fostering Fellowship in the Church. And the message is really a supplement to the series that we did before Christmas. You may remember that we did a series on church principles. And one of the key verses in, in that series, and one that we read many a time, was Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And it's a verse that I'm sure you can quote. Um, we'll turn to it later. But it says they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And we had separate sessions on the apostles' teaching, and on the breaking of bread, and on prayers. But we didn't have one on fellowship. So I thought, well, as a supplement to that, let's look at the subject of fellowship. Um, and what we're going to look at tonight, we're going to think of the meaning of fellowship, the basis of fellowship, the importance of fellowship, and a beautiful example of fellowship in Scripture. And then we're going to think of some practical applications for ourselves. So... Let's, let's start um, by thinking of the meaning of fellowship. Now, this is going to be a little bit technical. I, I don't think it's going to be very technical, but a little bit technical, just for a few minutes, and then we'll move on to something which is hopefully less uh, technical. So, let's read first from the book of Acts, chapter 2. Um, we'll read a couple of verses just now, three verses in fact, and we'll turn back to this passage later on. But just read for now from um, verse 42 of chapter 2. And we'll read to verse 44. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now turn with me then also to Luke chapter 5, and we'll look at verses 8 to 10. It's particularly verse 10 I'm thinking about, but we'll read from verse 8 just for context. Luke chapter 5, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. It's particularly that verse, verse 10. And so 
were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Now, there are three words in these uh, verses that I would just like to draw your attention to. Um, and the first word is the one who, which appears in verse 44, the last ver word of verse 44 in Acts chapter 2. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now that word in common is in Greek koinos, koinos. And the word means belonging to everyone or belonging to several people. And so they had all things in common. So the things that they had, they had in common. They were, it was being shared. It belonged to several people. There were about 3,000 people who were saved on the day of Pentecost. And so this word common is the word koinos. And that word koinos is uh, the word that the word partners, which is uh, we've, we came across in Luke chapter 5 and verse 10, is derived from. And there we have a word which in Greek is koinonos, koinonos. That last letter in the sigma, lowercase sigma, the S, the V is like an N, and then the W that looks like a W is omega. So that says koinonos. And that word koinonos comes from the word koinos, which was about having things in common. And in Luke chapter 5 and verse 10, Luke translates the word their partners. And what's that mean in that context? Well, uh, this, the sons of Zebedee, we are, told, we are told there, James and John, they were partners with Simon, Simon Peter. Well, what were they doing? Well, they were fishermen, and so they had a business together they had an enterprise and in this fishing enterprise fishing business they were partners they were koinonos that meant that they were they had an interest in terms of ownership they had, there was a fellow ownership in the business um, there was joint responsibility and there was work. They had to work together. So there was ownership. There was responsibility. And there was cooperation. In this business, they were koinonos. They were partners. And so if the business succeeded, all three of them succeeded with the business. If the business failed, all three of them suffered because they were partners in it. And they had, they had skin in the game, if you speak about 
you know, that in, in, in the business world. They had, and, and so they would lose out when the business were not, was not doing so well. And so we have that second word, which is koinonos. And then the third word we came across was that word in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where it says that the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Uh, this word is koinonia, which comes from the same word koinos, which is about having things in common and is related to the word koinonos, which is partners. So this is the word we are going to think about tonight, koinonia or kononia, which the young people seem to call it when they speak about their WhatsApp group and when they organize uh, various events together, koinonia. It's about communion. It's about partnership. It's about participation. It's about sharing. Fellowship is the word that is mostly used and which we have here, certainly in the ESV. And I think it's a very good um, uh, word to describe really the meaning, the essence of this word koinonia. So perhaps a little bit technical, I appreciate, but I thought it, it's helpful just to understand these words and sometimes, not that I, I, I all, all I've told you is stuff that I've read in English, I'm not, I'm not uh, a Greek expert by any chance, and you, you would be able to read the same things as I have uh, covered in this. And it gives a flavor I trust, to what it means when we speak about fellowship, partnering together. So that's the meaning of fellowship. Now let's think about, oops, uh, jumping we gone now, we're going to think about the basis of fellowship. And let's turn now to 1 John. 1 John Chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship, that's the word, koinonia, so that you may have koinonia with us. And indeed, our koinonia is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John 
says in these verses that the, the purpose of the proclamation of the apostolic message was that we should have fellowship with God and with his people. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. I think he's speaking here about the apostles. When he speaks about we in first person, plural, he's speaking about us, he's speaking about the apostles, so that you too, those who hear the message proclaimed by the apostles, that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. I think this passage here is, is a parallel to the Lord's Prayer in, in, first John, no, sorry, in John chapter 17, where John records the prayer of the Lord Jesus, and Jesus prayed this, I do not ask for these only, the, the apostles, I do not ask for these only, but also for all who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. That's the idea of fellowship, isn't it? That they all may be one. Just as you and I, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So there, the Lord Jesus was praying for a union, that they may be one, just as the Father and the Son are one, and that they may be in us. So there is that. We see that union there in John chapter 17, union amongst believers and being united with the Father and the Son, who themselves are one. And so we see that, the same, um, the parallel here in First uh, John, don't we? And, and this, John says, is the very purpose of the apostolic message, the purpose of preaching the gospel. It is fellowship. Fellowship with believers to, with God, the Father and the Son, and fellowship with one another. And so we see that the source of the fellowship that we have is the triune God. And that's very important. You know, we don't believe in a singular, one-dimensional God, if I can say so. We believe in a triune God. And amongst the Trinity... There, amongst the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, there's communion and there's fellowship. And so as the triune God reaches out to humanity, the triune God wants us to enjoy that same fellowship, that same union amongst ourselves and with God. So, the source of fellowship is God, and the basis of our fellowship is God's work of salvation. In other words, true fellowship can only be experienced by those who have been saved by his grace. 
Everyone united with Christ by faith is also united with everyone else united with Christ. The same Holy Spirit indwells all believers and it gives us a common share in the body of Christ. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in us enables Christian relationships to be enriched with a supernatural dimension and a spiritual dynamic that unbelievers cannot experience. And I'm sure that we, many of us and all of us, can testify to that. You know, we can testify perhaps being away from home, traveling abroad or traveling um, to another part of the country and meeting believers and just experiencing that relationship which um, is far greater than any relationship that we can have on earth. And so the, the, the basis of our fellowship is God. John Stott, when he comments on these verses in his um, commentary to First John, he says this, the statement of the apostolic objective in the proclamation of the gospel, namely a human fellowship arising spontaneously from a divine fellowship, is a rebuke to much of our modern evangelism and church life. We cannot be content with an evangelism which does not lead to the drawing of the converts into the church. Nor with a church life whose principle of cohesion is a superficial social camaraderie instead of a spiritual fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. I thought that was very helpful. When we think about the basis of fellowship, that it is through the church that that is experienced. And so evangelism that doesn't bring converts into the church is not biblical evangelism. And church life, where the cohesion in the church is not based on, grounded on the truth and grounded on, in, in the grace of God working in our lives, is not genuine fellowship. We see something else in this verse as well, in verses uh, 6 and 7, verse 7 in particular. And that is that true fellowship can only happen when we walk in the light. He says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we do not walk in the light, if we walk in the darkness, we do not have fellowship with one another. Now, light here, I think, speaks about revealed truth and speaks about moral purity. And so to enjoy fellowship with one another, we must live our lives in accordance with Scripture and based on truth. 
Okay, so that's the, the basis of fellowship. And let's think then about the importance of fellowship. And we'll turn back to Acts chapter 2. We, we read there in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And it's clear from Acts chapter 2 that fellowship was of primary importance. They devoted themselves to four things, the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer, and prayers. And we all think that doctrine is important. We all think that the breaking of bread is important and that prayer is important. I hope we do, and I, I know we do. But do we put fellowship on par with, with that? And it seems to me that the early church did. There were four things they devoted themselves to. They continued steadfastly in, as the authorized puts it, or they devoted themselves to it, as the ESV puts it. So that, to them, fellowship was of primary importance. To them, Church was not something you just attended from time to time. But they saw themselves as partners with each other. They had skin in the game. They took responsibility. They took ownership. And they worked in cooperation with each other. And I think that is so important. And, and it might be that that is important to all of us. And that it is important for us as a church. But it's important to remind ourselves of this. That church is not something you attend. But that it is something that you are a partner in. And that's very different to how church is, is, is seen really in, in the world today in, in general, even by, by churchgoers. But fellowship, partnership, taking responsibility, it's not, it's not the, the, the elders who whose the, the church belongs to, it is all of us. It is all of us. We are in fellowship. Fellowship is something that we can enjoy when we worship together, when we pray together, and when we study the word of God together. But as we see from Acts chapter 2, their fellowship meant more than that. It meant that they supported each other in each other's needs. 
drawing alongside each other, comforting, encouraging, rebuking where necessary. And as we look, we read the rest of this chapter, we read in verse 44 earlier that they had all things in common. Now, I don't think that's a command we have in Scripture, and it's not necessarily something that we see practiced throughout the New Testament. But it is certainly the principle of Scripture that we fellowship means supporting each other in material things and in financial things. Now we, we, I suppose you could argue that we live in a very different society from uh, the believers in the first century where we have a social network and so on. And, and that is true. But I think we have primary responsibility for what is called the household of faith. Do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith, as Paul says, I think, in, in Galatians. And so we have a responsibility financially, um, emotionally, spiritually, to support each other. And we see that the primary place for fellowship is the local church. Now, that doesn't mean two things. It doesn't mean that fellowship is confined to the times of the meeting. It certainly doesn't mean that. And it doesn't either mean that fellowship is restricted to those who are in my church. You know, we, there's a bond between every believer across the world. But the local church is the primary place for fellowship, for this partnership to be um, enjoyed and to be practiced. Just one more thing before we move on to the next one. And that is the phrase being in fellowship, which we sometimes use. Being in fellowship in a local church is not particularly biblical language in the sense that we don't see that phrase used anywhere in the New Testament to refer to being part of a local church. But then we don't have the word Trinity in the Bible, but we use it because it's helpful. We don't have the word incarnation in the Bible, but we use it and it's helpful. And I, as I've thought about it, being in fellowship is a very helpful term referring to those who are part of a local church. I can't think of a better term. I don't think membership cuts it really for me. You, you can be a member in the local football club. You can be a member in the society of stamp collectors or, or something. But being a member of a local church is much more. And so being in fellowship, I think it's a beautiful term to speak of those who are part of one local church because 
We should be in fellowship with one another, and we are. And we should practice that as well. So the importance of fellowship, it was so important to the early church. And let's not forget the importance today as well. So let's turn to an example of fellowship. And I would like to read from Philemon. The book of Philemon. And verse 4, Paul writes to Philemon, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith, the fellowship, the koinonia, of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Here we have a beautiful example of fellowship. What, where fellowship thrives and what fellowship achieves. Paul is writing here to Philemon and he describes Philemon in verse 17 as his partner. So if you consider me as your partner, Receive him, Onesimus, as you would receive me. The word there is koinonos. So Paul thought of Philemon as his koinonos, his partner. And <clears throat> Philemon was a wealthy individual, and we read in verse 2 that the church met in his house. And as Paul writes to him, he thanks the Lord for him, and he prays for his koinonia. Verse 6, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. And I think this is a lovely example, and we haven't got much time to expound on it too much. But we see here in these verses the atmosphere in which fellowship, true fellowship, thrives. He says in verse 5, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. This is the atmosphere in which fellowship thrives. Love and faith. Love toward the Lord Jesus and love and trust towards other believers. So I think this is where the fair flower of fellowship flourishes, if I can use 
say that. Where fellowship, where koinonia really thrives is in an atmosphere of faith and love towards God, first of all, and love towards each other. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere and unhypocritical love, is the literal translation, Love one another earnestly. We could say love one another deeply or love one another at full stretch from a pure heart. And so this is the atmosphere in which fellowship flourishes. The flower of fellowship flourishes. It is in this atmosphere of Faith, obedience to the truth, love towards the Lord Jesus, and love for one another. Where unity and harmony exists, fellowship can flourish. So that's the atmosphere that seemed to... Um, be there in Philemon's house where the church met. It was an atmosphere of faith and love. And what, did, what was the substance of fellowship? Well, we see that fellowship was a spiritual work. He says in verse 6, I pray that the sharing, the koinonia of your faith. So this was a spiritual work. It was a work of faith. And He says that it's not, it's a bit complicated in, in the ESV, I find, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. The NIV says this, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ, that the, the fellowship of your faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. And so fellowship is not so much about speaking about the weather and the football and about work, and not that we should not speak about those things, but that is really social interaction. And fellowship, as we've thought, is much more than social interaction. It's about deepening our understanding in the things of Christ. And I look at myself and I think, I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at when together with fellow believers that this is what I seek to do, either deepening their 
uh, understanding of the things of Christ or seeking to have my own experience and understanding deepened through the other, uh, my fellow believers' understanding or experience in life. But this is really, I think, the crux of what fellowship is. It is about supporting each other. We thought about it financially, materially, but spiritually. Having fellowship means deepening each other's understanding of the things of Christ. And so that's the substance of fellowship, if you like. It's a spiritual thing. It's not a social thing. We thought about the atmosphere in which fellowship thrived at Philemon's house. But what was the effect of it? The effect we read of in verse 7. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And so fellowship, true Christian fellowship, should result in our hearts being refreshed for the sake of Christ being, or being refreshed through you. That's a beautiful example of what fellowship is in Scripture. And I think it helps us understand and put some meat on the bone when we think about fellowship that it is more than social interaction, but that it is a spiritual thing, and it's about deepening our understanding of the things of Christ, helping each other walk the Christian walk, which is not easy. And we live in a world where there's more loneliness than there ever has been, really, despite the fact that we are more connected uh, electronically or digitally than we have ever been as a society. As a society, we are more disconnected socially. But that should not be the experience of believers because we, sh we need to find that connection. And, and, you know, we now realize the disaster of isolating in uh, covid and we are paying the price of that as a society. But thankfully, we can be enjoying that fellowship unhindered now. Now, I just want to just finish with some practical applications for us. You know, it's all good to think about, um, you know, this, this theory or, or, you know, this abstract notion. Hopefully I haven't been too abstract, but what about how can I foster this kind of fellowship amongst us as a church? And, I, you know, there's many things you could um, say, but let's cultivate conditions that are conducive to fellowship. We thought about that atmosphere of fellowship where it thrived, where it flourished in Philemon's house, where there was love, where there was faith, there was obedience to the truth. You know, fellowship is not superficial. It, it's something which happens when, when the conditions are right. And those conditions we've thought about. So let's cultivate those conditions in our own personal lives. Let's show up 
Now, we, we've thought about, of course, that um, fellowship is not something which is restricted to the meeting times of the local church. Having said that, we enjoy rich fellowship when we are together, during the meeting, after the meeting. And it's lovely to see, um, maybe the doorman doesn't think so, but it's lovely to see after the meetings that people stay around and they speak for ages. Um, and um, it, that's good. So to enjoy fellowship as a church, we need to show up. And that's what Hebrews uh, chapter 10 says. And let, us not, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. That's fellowship, isn't it? To meet together and to encourage each other. So let's show up. Let's ditch technology. Now, that's a, that's a bold statement. But John, he did. He valued face-to-face -face interaction. He says, in, at the end of 3 John, I, have, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. That was technology of the time. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face-to-face. Face-to-face, not screen-to-screen, face-to-face. There's absolutely no substitute for face-to-face -face interaction. There's none. <laughs> there wasn't for John, and there isn't today, even though technology has moved on so much. So let, I'm not saying we should throw our phones away, but let's not pretend that that is fellowship. It's face-to-face, -face, that's fellowship. Secondly, don't just huddle around your friends. Now, this is something that we just tend to do when we are in a big group. We tend to go and we just automatically veer towards our own group, and understandably. But <clears throat> sometimes you go out for a meal with, with work and you have, they do so that you have your first course at one table and then you have your second course with another table and your third course with a third group. And that's good because you kind of get to know people and you, uh, you speak to lots of people. So let's, Think about that as well, as a, a church, that to be open and keep our eyes open and think, I haven't spoken to her for a month, for six months, for a year. I'm going to go and sit myself down next to her and speak to her. Or he's standing there on his own, I'm going to speak to him. I think that's fellowship, and, and we can use our time when we are together so well. So that's um, my fourth point. And my fifth and final point is this, be intentional. And I'm speaking to myself here. Be intentional. Think about a question to ask which can lead your conversation on to something which is more than just the weather or the football. What are you reading at the moment? Are you reading, how are you getting on with that book that you, you, you mentioned that you were gonna start reading? Uh, or, or things like that. Be intentional about our fellowship. 
So that, those are just some practical applications, and there are many others we can mention. Let me just finish with a quote from Donald Whitney, who has written a book called Simplify Your Spiritual Life. And this is what he says. A significant part of the Lord's ministry to us comes through others in whom he lives. And he intends for us to experience much of this comforting, encouraging, instructing, reproving, guiding, and sustaining ministry through fellowship. But if we talk with our brothers and sisters almost exclusively about things even worldlings can discuss and understand, we deprive ourselves of many touches from heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have blessed us so richly and through salvation and you brought us into a, a church where we can enjoy fellowship and we pray that you will help us to, to uh, prioritize fellowship and to work on it and to see the importance of it and look to help and encourage each other in our walk with you. We pray that at Fernley that there might be uh, uh, conditions that are conducive to, to this fellowship, true fellowship, where we can enjoy this um, sweet fellowship one with another. And so, Father, we pray that you will bless your word to us tonight, <clears throat> and we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.